to not Tyler Perry's writer's room. I'm Crystal. And I'm Ashley. So kick off your shoes, relax your feet, and let's get into it. Hey, girl. Hey, what's up, Ashley? What's up, Crystal? I am chilling, chilling like a villain, never illin'. Always willing to kill some time with the homie. (laughs) Okay. You didn't know I was a poet. I did not. Yeah. How you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good, mostly because y'all, we getting UPN back. Not really, but kind of. I just found out that Netflix acquired the rights to seven of my favorite black sitcoms ever, 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 ever. And it's they're, they're releasing them soon. Like, first of all, they're starting off with Moesha, which is being released on August 1st. Mo Titta. E Titta. Like, I just feel like oh, my childhood is just coming back to me. I love Moesha. Then we have the game, seasons one through three. I think it's releasing on August 15th. Then, Sister, Sister. Sister, Sister. Never knew how much I missed you. September 1st. I cannot wait to say, go home, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Girlfriends, September 11th. Love, 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 Girlfriends. Yes. I'm patiently awaiting for somebody to let Mara make Girlfriends into the movie because we all need to know what happened because that they left us on a cliffhanger and then on October 1st we have the Parkers come on hey Professor Ogilvy yes hello Monique girl you about to get your shine on Netflix you just didn't think it was gonna come this way also y'all let's really support and stream the hell out of this shit so everybody can get their checks I'm not really sure how streaming works as far as residuals but let's watch the hell out of it Turn it on. Put it on all your TVs. Then we have both half and half and one on one releasing on October 15th. And hopefully for those of you who are younger than us or maybe not from here or didn't grow up watching these, you can really get to learn and see. There was a period of time where black TV was rampant and there was so much diversity amongst these shows. I definitely want to shout out um, Strong Black Lead and also want to shout out Shadow and Act because Shadow and Act has been doing an amazing job for several years of keeping us informed on what's going on in Black productions and productions highlighting Black folks. And so shout out to them. Thank you so much for keeping us on the up and up. Let us know how you feel. Do any of these TV shows bring back nostalgic moments for you is this your gonna be your first time viewing it what are you looking forward to let's discuss maybe we'll review one of our favorite episodes of each show we're gonna have to do something because we bring in upn bike okay before y'all know the cw but do you did you know about upn did you know about homeboys in outer space did you yeah take me back Um, but for now we have to go forward to 
Miss Zoe. So we are looking at Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Season 1, Episode 5, and this episode is titled Zoe's Extraordinary Failure. I'm going to leave that up to you. Well, let's get into it. Um, Let me first start off by saying that I feel like with this episode, I was able to catch my breath. Last episode was so busy. It had so much going on, just trying to keep up with everything. This time I was like, whoo, I only need to focus on like two or three characters. Thank you, Jesus. Last episode is like the TV depiction of living during a shelter in place. It's like, my boo, you don't have to squeeze in a whole year into six months, baby. You didn't have to do that. We still got... We still got five months left, right? Last episode was so jam-packed. Yes. And you are right. This one gave us an opportunity to catch our breath. As a a matter of fact, they showed us the title sequence in under five minutes. And I don't think that has happened in the first four episodes of the show. Yeah. I can confirm that. Thank you, writers. And whoever was in the room that's like, listen, I let y'all run wild last episode. The showrunner was like, we gonna have to bring this shit in. This is reel it in. And I appreciate you. Well, let's talk about it. So the show opens uh, this episode at Zoe's parents' house. I'm gonna start calling it Maggie and Mitch's or Mitch's and Maggie's. (laughs) M&M's. M&M's. And they are sitting in the living room and Maggie is bringing out a box. There are already tons of boxes in the living room. And apparently these are boxes of all their like childhood items. And I thought this was super cute. We obviously assume that it's related to David and Emily about to have their baby here soon. And maybe looking for some things that he wants to pass on to his son. Um, And we learn about both Zoe and David as children. I thought this was actually pretty interesting here in that Emily picks up a Care Bear and she's like, oh, Zoe, like you were so caring and thoughtful. And then David's like, actually, that's mine. And so is that one. (laughs) And his mom is like, yeah, he was a very thoughtful and caring child. Zoe, on the other hand, was very inquisitive and logical. And she makes this joke about science and engineering being her gateway drug. So that was a good, I thought, like tone setter and just good reset for us understanding who they are as characters. Maybe this will be important as we progress through the episode. While all of that is happening, Maggie decides to go make a call in the kitchen. Who is she calling? She calls Jessica. Zoe realizes that she seems pretty secretive and she's chopping it up with Jessica. Obviously, she's still helping them plan for their engagement party. So she's about to meet her at a flower march. They can nail down picking out some flowers. And Zoe's like, so I heard you talking to Jessica. Like, what's that about? And here enters another maybe problem or dilemma we'll learn more about throughout the episode. And that's Maggie doesn't feel comfortable discussing the progress of things happening from a business perspective in the presence of Mitch. It just makes her feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. Well, all of that is happening. Guess what is happening with Mitch and David? Girl, they outside playing Simon. Do you remember Simon? That was girl Simon and what's the little jump rope thing? I can't think of it right now. Skip it. Those was my jams. (laughs) So like how come Zoe couldn't have just given Mitch the signing? Why she had to go get the book? I guess it was whichever game they found first, I guess. Also, but that was what was funny. Mitch was trying to play Simon with him with the taboo buzzer. Like, they don't make different sounds, Mitch. It's the same one. 
<laughs> did notice that Mitch is, is emoting more with his facial expressions. So I thought that was cute. And it very much seemed like Mitch was present, right? It didn't seem like they were all doing this thing and he was just there, but not really there mentally. Mitch was there because you could see that he was expressing himself a little bit more. So I thought that that was cute. Also, Maggie is a typical mom. She was hoarding all this shit because Zoe and her got to be like, <laughs> she had this stuff from like 25 plus years just sitting in the house. And it was just like, okay. They were each going to take a little box though. So they were helping her in those moments because Zoe had a box that I'm pretty sure she was going to take home. <laughs> oh yeah. She jazzed about her box. <laughs> you see that old keyboard? That's irrelevant, though, and not as important. While all of this is happening, Zoe's still chatting with her mom in the kitchen, and David and Emily are having a conversation about putting up the crib, because apparently they were supposed to have put this crib up, like, weeks ago, and they haven't done it yet. So Emily is like, we're going to put up the crib tonight, right? And David's like, oh, oh, I got to work late on some special case. And she's like, wow, that case is really taking up a lot of your time it's like literally taking over your life and he's like oh don't worry about it like trying to make sure it's not a big deal he feels like she's reading too much into it zoe somehow overhears this and it's like she peeks outside and she's like y'all good and they say they're fine but then we enter to our first song and we have our first i'll call it a heart song and it's just give me a reason by peak featuring nate roos and of course, you gave me a heads up when we were watching this that the choreography was going to be bad. <laughs> this choreography was so cheesy. Um, but clearly, there's something going on between them that they're not chatting about with each other. But I think they both sense it. So yeah. I said, oh, this might be one of the problems that we're going to focus on in this particular episode. This is also the first duet heart song that Zoe has encountered. Um so that's interesting. I wish Zoe would, like, I don't expect you to know every lyric of every song ever, but just use the Google, Google, Alexa, Siri. They're all there at your disposal. Shazam. There's all these things you can use because she seemed to be confused. There's something going on here, but I'm not really sure what it is. But like the song just, song literally says, just give me a reason, a little, like if you Google the lyrics, you're like, oh, something's going on in their marriage. Like that's obvious. The choreography. Oh, Jesus. I'm not a big fan of that style of modern dance anyways, but that was so corny and bad. And I... It was cringeworthy. And to be honest, I think the actors that played Dave and Emily did a really good job executing it if they are not trained dancers because they looked like really legit dancers. It's not their fault. The choreography was bad. This was worse than office chair choreography. Like, <laughs> I, that was my top. This is now taken over. I would have rather they spun around in chairs. That would have been better. Also, the thing is, it's like Emily Boo Boo. I don't know where who y'all been around, but when a man, your husband, your partner says they got to work late, everybody knows that's code for something is going on and I don't want you to know. Or I'm cheating like that. Nobody actually, quote unquote, works late like that doesn't that, that's not a thing. So I just was like, oh, gosh, is he. You know, is he scared about the baby coming and having a little 
little fling on the side. Like, I don't, something is going on he here. It does not strike me as anybody that would be having nobody's flings. But I do but agree. those are the ones you got to watch out for. <laughs> something else is occupying his time. He don't got the swag. No offense, David. We love you. <laughs> no. And so Zoe, of course, calls her wise, magical Negro. I just, I love Mo so much. And I hate that they utilize Mo in this capacity to always be the voice of reason, to be the conscious, to be the source of knowledge of everything. But of course, Zoe tells, calls Mo and is like, I just heard my first duet. And Mo is like, first of all, sweetie, it's before 1 p.m. So I don't even know why I answered the phone. And I really don't know why you're calling me um, because my brain doesn't function until nine o'clock. I thought that was hilarious. Um, let's meet up at a bar and make it real basic and hetero because I want drinks and potato skins. We can catch up then. And so the next thing we know, Zoe is at work and we find out that Zoe wanted to build team morale and kind of, you know, figure out how to get the team to gel and mesh more. And so they had anonymous peer reviews at some point. And Joan has this horrible idea to share the peer review results with the individual. Like, what the f- That's not how this works. You don't, like, you don't do that. Well, you definitely don't do it the way they set it up. Joan said that both her and Zoe were going to share the results like together in front of them. In the past where I've seen like these anonymous 360 peer reviews or whatnot, like you get the feedback and you get it. You get the process that nobody is reading it to you. Like none of that. And then you can sit there and try and figure out who said what. But like, I thought it was stupid because I'm like the whole time, if it's peer review or whatnot, like any person you're chatting to is going to wonder like, okay, which one of you said it? So that's where I thought it was in poor taste. Um, I'm like, if you're going to share it, share it, but don't tell them what the feedback was. Just give it to them. And it was disastrous for everyone except for Tobin. Tobin wasn't good though. (laughs) Well, it was good for him. It's all about perspective. Tobin's review was that he's very mediocre and he was like, booyah. Yes. I love barely meeting expectations. And I love that about Tobin because that's maybe not what you want in an employee, but it's definitely what you need as an employee to maintain your sanity and to stay happy, right? If you are like, listen, as long as I do the bare minimum and I clock in and clock out when I feel comfortable, this is how you get your work-life balance. I'm with Tobin. I was like, okay, wow, let's way to go. And Max's, of course, was that, he doesn't take the initiative. He lacks drive. Um, basically, he's not living up to his potential. And I'm like, eh, I can see I that. I can see that. I can see that. And then Leap's criticisms were pretty spot on, but they were also a little hard they were hitting. Jabbish. But they were all true. And so his reviews are basically that he's narcissistic, he's self righteous, he's self absorbed, he's willing to win at all costs. And that's alienating like who wants to be around something like that like who wants to work with that person and all this is true the only problem is there's two problems one the problem is is that leaf we find out has never really received true criticism before in his life like he's always been good at everything much like zoe so this shook him like what me not being perfect another thing that was wrong with this process in general is is when you give someone criticism in order for criticism to be constructive there has to be solutions or actionable steps 
none of that occurred. It was just like, you suck, you're horrible, you're narcissistic. Do with that as you will. Like, just that was... And there was no balance. I find it hard to believe that in a peer review that everything that you're going to get would be considered negative. There'd be some positive things too. And also, Zoe did not get a review. Zoe asked Joan, like, hey, so what about mine? And Joe was like, ah, misogynist, misogynist, misogynist. It's, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I thought that that was an interesting point, though, because that was something that you had brought up. Like, she's the only female on her team. She's a leader of all males. And then her and Joan apparently seem to be the only two females that work in the entire company. So, yes, I would imagine... <laughs> that some massage would have came through that. And I did appreciate the fact that it was, that it was addressed to some degree. We do later find out what some of her reviews are, but we'll cover that when we get there. So next they're, they're at the bar. So I guess they finished the work day. Zoe's meeting up with Mo at the bar. Can I just say that I absolutely love Mo's sweater. That's a sweater that I would totally wear. It was hella on point. Everything about Mo in that scene was you. I was like, <laughs> Ashley actually has had this hairstyle. She would wear this sweater. Yes. And she I definitely like, wants to go to a basic ass bar with bomb ass drinks and potato skins. Yo, potato skins is actually one of my favorite bar food guilty pleasures for anybody that wants to hang out with me when the world opens up again. And here, I thought this was interesting because they were supposed to link up, chat about the duet. But she says she invited Max. So she's like waiting on Max to come because Max had a bad day at work because of his very basic review. And Max shows up chatting about Napa because Zoe's like, hey, you've been kind of tight-lipped since the Napa trip. And then Max starts to spill the beans about what did or didn't happen on Napa. And up rolls Autumn, like, are you telling them about Napa without me? And I'm like, well, dang, I thought she invited Max, not Max and Autumn. So I felt like that totally derailed their conversation, but it gave us the opportunity to see something very interesting here. When Zoe starts to hear, you've got to fight for the right to party by the Beastie Boys. So she goes seeking out this music. And who does she find? David, David her brother. Girl, I was Out like, of all the bars the in San Francisco, door. David's dumbass. Like, <laughs> what? You idiot. And also, might I add, I think that this was a very good song choice. Oh, yeah. I love it. You no, know, Beastie Boys very much is like white frat boy hip hop. And David very much gives me that vibe. But not like an actual frat, but like a frat for like nerds. Beastie Boys has some slappers back in the day, though. No, but I'm saying, like, this is definitely a song that I could see David singing. The lyrics are also very true to how David is feeling. I love the choreography with the pole cues. <laughs> the pole sticks, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was so cute. And I loved it when the music stopped and all of the men's cell phones rang because their partner's spouses were also calling them, like, where are you at? Because it's late, and I didn't you know, even you, catch that. Yeah, I liked I liked that part, but I was just like, "How dumb do you have to be to get caught by your sister?" And I also thought it was weird that David did not tell Zoe not to say shit because Zoe is the person that you have to explicitly state, "Don't tell nobody you saw me here." Okay, and I was like, mm, I know he was like trying to play the whole like I'm not doing anything wrong. But like, you have to tell Zoe 
if you talk to mom or you happen to speak to my wife, which you never speak to, but in the event that you speak to her, please don't say you saw me here. He didn't say that. I know. He was just like, yeah, I'm out with some coworkers. And she's like, oh, yeah, cool. Enjoy your work session. And it's like she knew she didn't believe him, but I don't think she knew how to properly probe. So she kind of left like, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> also, I think she been a little she been a little shell shocked ever since Mo checked her ass. When Mo said, listen here, pussy, stay out of people's personal thoughts. Keep that shit to yourself. Ever since then, Zoe is like, listen, I really only have three ish kind of friends. One is a man that I want to bone who is actually engaged. And so I can't really consider him a friend friend because I'm trying to have sex. Second is Max, who's actually boning somebody else. So he's not really a friend friend. The only person I really have is Mo. If I piss Mo off again, that's it. There's no coming back. She And this is my maintenance person. So if I piss Mo off, not only do I lose a friend, but who's going to fix my stove? Because I know Mo is that kind of petty. Mo is like, listen here, we're done. So what that means is whatever needs to be done in apartment three, don't call me about it. And if you snitch... I'm going to get you. So I just no think oh, that is funny. I think Zoe is like shell shocked. But she, So you think she's just trying to, to play it safe right now? Yeah, I think she's trying to kind of be like, maybe I should respect some boundaries or hear a little bit more, more of a song. Let's like, maybe let me try to put pieces of the puzzle together before I go and directly ask people, hey, so I'm kind of hearing your inner thoughts. Let's talk. Like, no, that's not the way to approach it. So next thing we know, she's at work. She's back at work. Um, so I'm assuming this is a new day. Yes. And she is talking to Simon. And Simon is like, oh, hey, wow, I thought you ghosted me, which she actually has been. Um, yeah, didn't she make a comment that it had been like 48 hours since they had like last text? Because her mom asked her about it in the kitchen. She's like, how are things with you and Simon? She's like, it's been like two days since we (laughs) texted. Yeah. I'm having some Simon withdrawals. I was rolling like, no, ma'am, you are not that hooked. You don't even have the D yet. Girl. But sometimes, you know what? It's just the thought of it. So she confides. She tells Simon that she ran into her brother at a bar after he lied to his wife about his whereabouts. And the way that she went about this is she started off vis-a-vis a hypothetical, like, hey, hypothetically, if you ran into somebody who allegedly was supposed to be one place, but then they weren't. And I was like, Zoe, you can't even do a hypothetical, right? The whole point of a hypothetical is you don't give details. You just told this man that you caught your brother lying to his wife. Like, sis, It just was so weird. So Simon says, hey, you know, you never know what's going on in people's relationships. I really think that's, you know, it's probably not a big deal. Um, He most likely just needed some space. But I just thought Zoe was, I just was like, rookie move. And then all of a sudden Simon's mood shifts. He looks very pensive and Zoe prods and she's like, what's going on with you? And he's like, how do you always seem to know? how I'm feeling. And I thought that was interesting because she's not actually listening to his heart song. I think she's actually in tune with him. She's being perceptive because that's what happens when you care about people and you spend time with them. So I thought that that was nice that she's actually feeling for feeling and not 
you know, like being this weird, awkward person who only can relate to people via their inner thoughts that they don't know she can hear. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. There was nothing about that part of the interaction that was performative at all. It was just like, wow, I should really make sure he's okay. I mean, and she did kind of bust in there like, hey, I got an issue. Let's talk. <laughs> As opposed to saying, hey, how you doing? How are you? you have time. So I know I've been ignoring you for the last 48 hours. How are you doing? And he also goes on to tell her that he's feeling some kind of way because it's going to be his dad's birthday in a few days. And this will be his dad's first birthday since his dad's death. And um, yeah, so he, you know, and I, I, I like that he kind of kept it short and sweet. He didn't go into super details. He just kind of was like, I may feel some kind of way in the next few days. Yeah. At which point Zoe walks out of Simon's office and now we hear Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., which is like the saddest song ever. But who's singing it though? It's, it's Leaf's old shook ass. Like Leaf is so shook that he is in a nap isolation pod singing REM. Like, do you know how depressed you have to be to sing REM? That's low. And <laughs> Zoe goes to check in to be a good manager, and she's like, "Um, are you okay?" He's like, "I just really feel like I'd rather be alone right now." But also, you wouldn't understand because you got a perfect score in your SAT. Come to find out, he did as well. But we find out via this conversation that not only has he never really received criticism, but he feels like like he doesn't measure up to his super successful younger siblings. One is like a head of uh, oncology, and another one is like owns or he's over a, like a billion dollar hedge fund, and he has all of these expectations both internal and expectations in his family unit and that criticism just really broke him because he prides himself on being the best of everything I think that's something Zoe can relate to I think so too I was just it made me think like he's so cocky so maybe his cockiness is rooted in insecurity not to say that he's not good in that you don't know maybe and that's what part of the point was he already feels like crap because he's not the leader of anything and he should have got the promotion so i did appreciate her trying to be a manager in this situation to broach the topic i didn't know if it was too soon i think i wish she would have had more of a plan but he did give her some insight for her to just move on some things and think about it for if, if she wanted to revisit it so now we're so, back in m&ms which is the parents <laughs> i love that m&ms M&M's and we see Maggie is meeting with Jessica. They're they're creating these like floral arrangement ideas for the party. And this is where we find out that um, part of the reason why Maggie is feels kind of out of sorts participating in her business alone is because the company is not just hers. The landscape architect company is Mitch and Maggie's company. They do this thing together. And Mitch is the business side and Maggie is the creative side. And they've always they're kind of the yin to each other's yang and they play off of each other each very well. So much so that they have um, successfully graced the cover of an architecture magazine and they have a coffee table book. So Mitch and Maggie are not just like your everyday parents, like they're very successful business owners and they've been doing it together. And so Maggie is just kind of like, my passion is landscape and, and architecture, but I only do it with my husband because that's how we've always done it. And I don't really know if I want to or can do it by myself. 
And I thought that was interesting because I never questioned what it was that Maggie or Mitch did career-wise prior to the last episode. So <laughs> look, before we found out she was a landscape architect, I hadn't even realized that they were in business together fully until this episode as well. But I'm like, okay, y'all were doing some real things when you could operate this business in, I guess, a space of normalcy. Um, I thought it was really cute within that setting as well that Jessica was kind of asking her like, well, how did you do it? Especially her being engaged, transitioning to marriage. And she was giving her just little tidbits and nuggets. Like we laughed a lot. Like it's, it's just been fun. Like not taking things too seriously, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We also find out during this time when Zoe shows up that David's supposed to be there helping out Maggie with Mitch and David is not around y'all. So, so she asked. First, Maggie is like, oh, he's running late. Yep. And then as this scene ends, she gets a text message from David talking about, oh, he won't be able to come because what? He's quote unquote working late. Zoe's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Oh, hell no. You didn't lie to me, but now you lied to our mama? You lied to your wife, me, and your mama. And your All the important, the leading ladies in your life. Like, what? what is going on here? And so Zoe's like, nope, suspicious. And so then, so I think he said something in the text, like he was working on the O'Reilly case, the which O'Reilly anybody case. knows if you're lying, you do not give too many details. If you lie, just just say the lie. Just leave it at that. I'm working late. He had to go and say, I'm working late on the O'Reilly case. And Zoe's like, O'Reilly, like O'Reilly's bar. Uh-uh. So she pops up at O'Reilly's bar. I'm just mad at him for not being smarter about the lie. Don't name your case after the bar you visited. That's like, how simple he was. Apparently the man has not, he did not do a lot of lying in his past. Well, we definitely find that out in this next conversation. (laughs) Yes. So Joey, so Zoe goes and finds her down at the bar again. Like, I'm like, are you an alcoholic? Like, what's going on? There's something going on here. And he just reveals that he he feels overwhelmed with everything going on with dad and with work and then the possibility of being becoming a new dad very soon. And Zoe's like, "Mm, okay, that. It's cool, but you know, you can talk to me about those things. We share all those things in common, except for the new parent thing. And then he pulls out a sonogram and he, he lets her know that it's really, he's really worried about the fact that he's having a son and he's not sure if he can parent a quote unquote boy. And I say quote unquote, because he uses boy, this boy gender to mean someone super masculine because he's not a super masculine man. And he was actually teased as a kid for not being like rough and tough and, you know, not being into the things that other boys are into. And I think these are valid concerns. I just don't like this idea of gender and identity. And it's just very archaic to me, especially when you compare it to a character like Mo that someone would be struggling with the fact that they're having a, a child who will be born by biologically male. And like, how do you raise that child? Uh, like a child. Like, I, I mean, you raise the kid like a kid until the kid tells you what they're interested in. It's not that hard to figure out. I but- appreciate the contrast of it for that reason, because we do have Mo. And because this show is based in San Francisco, very progressive, very open space that thinks differently. 
I would like to say that the writers did that intentionally just to show that even though you're in San Francisco, people still think like this. And I agree. His concerns were valid. We've seen so much of his emotional side these last two weeks or two episodes in particular. Like first it was him coming to grips with the fact that his dad might not see the child be born or shortly after the child's been born. And now it's like, holy crap, I'm going to be a father, as you stated, to a biological male child. And he couldn't seem to figure out that middle space. He's like, I don't want him to be soft like me and I don't want him to be a super jock. And I'm with you, like, kind of just be yourself, learn your child, and then support those things. But it's his first child, so I can give him a pass on that. And I also think he feels pressure from his wife because he also shared that he was like a thespian or something, and she hates theater, and he she doesn't even know that about him. So I'm like, that's interesting, too, in regards to how you relate with your wife and the mother of your child, in terms of you really being able to show up as who you really are in your marriage. So I could be reading way too much into that, but that's something that came up for me. This is the time where David did what we expect all brothers or sisters to do. He said, don't tell my wife. Which he was like, I'm not even worried that that's going to happen because y'all not even friends. Because mind you, Zoe was like, "Um, thank you for sharing this with me, but I think you should talk to your wife about it. And she should have stopped there. And he was like, well, you know, how do you, she was like, cause I get the feeling that Emily was like suspects that something is going on. And he's like, well, how would you even know? You and my, my wife aren't even like really friends like that. And she could have just came from the perspective of like, well, I'm a woman. I knew your ass wasn't at work. Like you said you was. So I'm assuming that Emily might also suspect that you are not where you say you are, but she didn't, she didn't go there. She, he was just kind of like, yeah, I have no reason to believe that, you know, what's going on in my wife's mind. So how about this? Just keep this between us, which should have been, should have been a solid, easy ask because like he said, y'all not even cool like that. So one or both of you would have to go out of your way. And we find out. Girl, I got secrets that my brothers told me that my mama and them still don't know. They not supposed to. Hold your water. He told you. You hold your peace until somebody say something about you and then you pull all that shit out. That's how you work it. <laughs> well, that's why. No, I'm just well, that's why when we was 13, <laughs> that's when you pull all the stuff out. But see, Zoe and David, they don't know these things. And so now we're back at work. Um, there seems to be some work-life balance going on. Because remember in the earlier episodes, Zoe was at work a lot, like work, 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 or at her parents' house. Now she's like at work, she's at the bar. I'm like, okay. And again, the watch has launched. So maybe they're moving on to other projects, but it ha- projects haven't actually taken place I yet. I don't so. think she would have went to the bar if Mo didn't invite her, but I am happy for her responding. And so now they're back at work and Zoe brings Simon a grief kit. And in that kit is a pillow, a mini hammer, not even a regular full-size hammer, a mini hammer, some opened Oreos, which is this. And there's two Walgreens on every corner in San Francisco. You could have went and got him another box or bag of package of Oreos. But anyways, there was some 1800 tequila. I know that bottle anywhere. Me too. That's the tequila I, I drink when I be buying it from Costco. I was like, he going 18. Dummy. Okay. You're not for the bay. You don't know that. And she just offers it up like, hey, I'm bringing you this, you know, just in case you might feel some kind of way. I thought she was doing too damn much. But Simon seemed to appreciate it. 
And I thought that she assumed that they were way too close to eat that man's Oreos. He should have opened them first and offered her one. But maybe that's just because that's what I would have done. But they was already, yeah, they was already open. Like that is just was in such poor taste to me. I just was like, mm. and so we find out that um, Jessica's taking him to the Dubs game. He says the Warriors game, but um, so we find <laughs> out Leaf is still distraught because REM is still circling through the halls of Spark Point. Girl, he can't like get. I know they're moving on to the next project, but like he won't even be at his desk now. He's like sitting on top of one of the little walkways hanging on to the rails i'm like now you work in more startup than me because this is what happens people just sit around like it's a slide and do nothing all day yeah white males absolutely <laughs> this is white male privilege and tech at your finest like bro you're sitting here doodling drawing a picture of yourself a good picture might i add of, of you as a clown crying and i thought this was going to be tears of a clown i thought they was going to queue up i was like come on smoky and it wasn't now max is telling Zoe that he's speaking so quickly. Like he's- He's freaking he's out. Had, he's freaking out because Autumn wants him to meet her parents. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I had a problem with, I told you I had a problem with Miss Happy-Go-Lucky. Something is always wrong with somebody when they're that happy all the damn time. Something well, wrong with her. she is the one that chased the butterfly in Napa for 37 minutes. Something <laughs> is wrong with her. And so he's basically scared that it's moving too fast. And he also feels like something's not quite right. Autumn is a great girl, but he's just like, this This is not a match because she is not, and he mentioned this at the bar, she's not a respecter of time. She is such a wild child. She don't give a damn about where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And you could tell that that like offends his sensibilities to his core because he's very much a he's an engineer. <laughs> yeah, she's like, he's just like, this is you know, not going to work. Then we find out that someone calls Zoe and we're like, who is it? And because they're not allowing Zoe to talk much. And you're like, who is this? And Ooh, the next girl, thing we know, this was my jam. Emily and, and Zoe at the marina. So Emily called Zoe and was like, hey, girl, hey, we need to meet. And but she played um, it off like she really wanted to chat with her and catch up. That was so funny to me. <laughs> She's like, hey, I just thought that we should get together for a hang. And Zoe's like, oh, yeah, we've never, like, done that before. Zoe gets there, they walk in and talk in, and she's like, I'm so happy we've done this. Like, we haven't done this since y'all been married. What's going on with you? And then she's like, I think something wrong with David. <laughs> she yeah. didn't even play him to her ruse long. I have problems with this scene because uh, if they were normal sister-in-law, this would make perfect sense. But we've known that... Zoe and Emily have not been close. Not that they have bad blood. They're just not close. And then Zoe's told us herself, oh, she told Mo that the reason why she doesn't feel like she should be the one to reach out to Emily is because they kind of don't mesh well. Emily is very um, aggressive and takes charge. And Zoe's kind of like hands off and like non-confrontational. So it seems odd to me that of all the people to call to ask about her husband, that she would call Zoe. And what her reasoning is, is, well, they've spent a lot of time together because of caring for their father. But she would have almost done a better job asking uh, Maggie or, or it, a co-worker. Or, like, but you go into Zoe, that was odd. But I think that proves the point that I don't think Emily knows David as much as she thinks she knows David. She knows something's going on. But there's a part of me that just finds it hard to believe that she even knows that he has work friends. And he even said that, like, the things that he does with his friends, the things that he does because they recommend it, and I guess he wants to be cool and part of it, but he really doesn't care to do it. 
So <laughs> he's definitely aiding in this with his identity issues. But I do agree. Zoe should have known that this was not for them to really catch up. And so, of course, Emily starts asking questions and Zoe just can't help herself. Zoe ends up spilling the beans. beans. And (laughs) she's like, like, (laughs) he's not cheating on you, though. He's just not at work. Girl. Um, And he's also having cold feet. He's getting a little scared about having a baby. So I had a problem with Zoe spilling the beans because it's like, like you said, you just you pinky swore basically with your brother. And Emily starts crying, but she's like, she's clear to be like, I just want you to know that like, I'm only crying because of these pregnancy hormones. She's very like stoic and and hard and she's a lawyer and she's an overachiever. And I, this is what I don't like. I feel like they are painting her as, as this very stereotypical Asian woman who is super successful and only cares about results and is strategic, but not totally non-emotional and unattached because remember she's talking about the reasons why she wanted to know the gender. It's like she wanted to be prepared and they had to do these things and they, and she can't even cry without it being because she's pregnant. Like you can't cry because you're human. Like it's okay for you to cry. I feel like the writers got lazy. Because, and I don't know that, you know, it's early in the season, so maybe they're going to flesh her out some more, but I feel like this is very lazy. Yeah, it's very lazy to make her like this tiger child who's now becoming a tiger mom who just so happens to be married to a passive white male who is full of emotions. It just, it could just be my just personal experiences, but I don't like it when I feel like characters are especially ethnic characters are being portrayed in a very stereotypical um, way, monochromatic robotic kind of way. And so I can see that from that scene. I feel like she's definitely giving us that too, in terms of who she is. I have a friend that, and she's not Asian. She's a black woman. Sometimes who will attempt to justify having emotions or being more emotional around her cycle. I think it's something that all women need to be comfortable with. It's okay to have emotions. You don't always have to be hard. Yeah, I didn't like that. And also, I didn't like that Zoe was a snitch. (laughs) Snitches get stitches. I think Zoe realized in that moment, as a result of Emily's actions, that she had kind of messed up. So she's going back to work, because this was a walk in the middle of the day. She actually gives her brother a call. And she's like, hey, I just want to let you know, I had a walk with Emily. She tried to play it off all cool. And then she's like, I kind of told her. I don't think she realized the weight of what she had done in that innocent meddling. This clearly is a voicemail because if this <laughs> if this was him talking for real, she would have got cussed out. And as we've seen in the entire work scene, we get back and girl Leaf is still tripping. Like, he is really bothered by this. So Zoe goes and talks to Joan, and it's just like, we have to do something about Leaf. Why did you do it that way? That was such a horrible idea. And Joan tells her that she was supporting Zoe's idea, that she thought it was a horrible idea, but it's not Joan's responsibility 
to shape this up, fix it, or the damage control. That adds leaves manager that it is Zoe's job to figure something out. And I thought she she dropped some really good gems here, even though I think the lesson could have been taught differently. I thought it was nice to see that her manager was supporting something, even if she disagreed, so that she could navigate through it. This is also where she passed along her results to Zoe, which we find out would be used later. They have a leave work. We're back at Zoe's apartment and her brother stops by. And he decides to give a little more information about why it was so problematic that she shared with Emily what she shared with Emily. And we find out that he basically had to beg Emily to have kids. She didn't want any. So after us talking about her being portrayed as typical stoic results oriented tiger mom, that kind of was like, oh, it doesn't surprise me. That she probably didn't want kids. And as a result of Joy sharing whatever she shared, even though it wasn't in complete detail, Emily now believes that David is not all in. <sighs> He's concerned about that, as, as he probably genuinely should be. I'm wondering if maybe they should have just had another conversation about whether they should really be following through with having kids together, because now I'm thinking they shouldn't be together at all. It's just such an odd, odd couple. And now I'm going back to the last episode where we watched that wedding video. And so now I'm like, wait a minute. So y'all were smiling and cheesing at the wedding when at that point, you guys were both all in on the whole kids train. Like, how do you go from we're getting married, we've decided that we are not going to have children to flash for that now she's pregnant? This showed me like there's another window into their relationship, that their relationship is not all that it appears to be. Somebody <laughs> compromise and it feels like it's Emily, right? Because it's different for me, I think, when men don't want to have children because they don't have to carry children. So Fair. it doesn't mean that it's not, it's still not a compromise, but it's it's a even more of a compromise when a woman who does not want to have children is having children because it's not only a ideology, she's having to physically put her body through something that she did not want. So that seems... Very weird. And maybe this is how they're going to build the multifacetedness of Emily. Like maybe there's more there. Maybe she did want kids and she had some kind of trauma or, you know, she didn't want to be like her parents. I, I don't know. But I thought that was interesting that he shared that with Zoe. And the most interesting thing about that scene was he very lovingly told Zoe, you fucked up. And um, I'm good off you for a minute. Like, I like the way that he he did it. He was like, listen, I love you, but you should have never did that. And I'm going to need some space. Oh, that's cute. I should work on ending things like that and not just being like, you fucked up, period. That's it. <laughs> he wants to continue the, re the relationship, but I, I do think she overstepped. And I think she needed to know she overstepped in a different communication than which Joan shared. But the Joan situation was different because Joan also kind of spilled the tea on everything and in that conference room setting asked for Zoe's help. In this particular case, he bore his heart and said, please don't tell. And I think he would have eventually found a way to tell Emily himself. So I, she, she messed it up and she needed to hear that. Now he used the word fail and I thought that that was over the top, but maybe this is where that whole Zoe's extraordinary failure of the title is coming from. Maybe this was the epic failure. 
after David leaves, Mo stops by and Mo is chatting with her, talking about she, as she's sharing with her what happened, Mo's like, oh, I think I'm seeing a window into Zoe's soul. And Zoe goes through sharing with her that she really didn't grow up receiving criticism and that her parents always led her to believe that she had done things well. And she's basically spent her entire life trying to prove to herself that she believed she was as perfect or as amazing as her parents made her believe that she was. She is or was. Clearly, she is not perfect right now. And I really liked how Mo closed out their dialogue or she encouraged her to see every failure not as a defeat, but as a stepping stone to success. And I think in Western culture, American culture, in many of our lives, that's something that we don't truly embrace. The fact that failure is not always a defeat, but sometimes there's a lesson in it so that we can get back up and do something better or even do something greater. So, yes, per usual, Mo was being her fairy godmother and coming in on the clutch. And also, I believe they were at Mo's place only because um, there was like some red drapes and stuff in the background. And also, didn't Mo have a gentleman caller? Because mind you, Mo gave Zoe something to eat. And this might be the wrong scene. And it was a papusa. And Zoe was like, mm, what is this amazing thing? And like Mo was like, oh, this is a papusa. i like, first of all, how do you live in San Francisco? You never had a papusa. Apparently... Mo had a gentleman caller who was in her bed and after they finished doing whatever, he also got up and made her papooses and then he went back to bed. But I like the way that Mo offered the advice via example. She was telling her, she was showing her these elaborate berets. She had like bedazzled or jewels or whatever and how like she put them on an online boutique and not a single one sold. And you can look at that as a failure. But then because of that, somebody reached out to her and asked her to draw a portrait of his mom, which was like hella weird. And he also never got paid for that. But that person introduced her to somebody else who commissioned Mo to do something that made more money than all of those things combined probably was going to make. So like continuing on the last episode like when you step out on faith you don't necessarily know where that next stair is appearing you take the first step and then you take the step after that and you take the step after that and I think that's something that Zoe needed to hear it's also something that I needed to hear as a person who really thrives in logic and like reasoning and rationale it's not always easy to understand just do it because you want to plan it out you want to be like okay if I do this then what is that reaction going to be and sometimes you just have to try something and you don't know how it's going to work and it'll lead you to the next place I liked how Mo described that I'm gonna be a broken record again I know y'all hurt y'all tired of hearing about it but if you know me by now you know I'm gonna say it I'm tired of this shit I love Mo so 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 much but this fairy godmother like have all the answers it really really bothers me Mo is only involved when Zoe can't figure something out. And it's not typically difficult things to figure out. They're very simple things that one could figure out, say, if they Googled or or read a book or, I don't know, went to therapy. And I just don't like this idea of, of Zoe utilizing her friend to always be her sounding board. Like, I, I think sometimes we we levy too heavy on our friendships. I don't think that's fair and not 
you know, Mo's a good person to ask because Mo knows a lot about a lot of different things. But it definitely leaves a bad taste in my mouth because Mo is black. And Mo is very much this engaging character who knows everything. Like when you look at, when we think about all of the catchphrases and the things that are said that's very funny about the show, nine times out of 10, they come out of Mo's mouth. And some of that is attributed to Alex because Alex is just a great actor and I'm sure some of it is improv. But you also have to know that some of this is being written by a group of people. So then you have to ask yourself why these group of people consistently choose to create this very engaging, thoughtful, know-it-all, I'm bad, I'm bougie, ain't nobody like me character who happens to be a Black character, but it's not the main character. It's a sidekick. That really, really burns my britches. Because at this point, I feel like this should be titled Mo's Extraordinary Playlist. Like if it was titled Mo's Extraordinary Playlist, I wouldn't have any problem with it. This is getting old very, very quickly. I hear you, girl. And because of that, I don't have to say I agree or second anything. I'm actually going to let the people sit with that as we transition to the next scene. So the next scene, this was so odd to me in terms of how it came, but we see Max and Autumn taking a jog somewhere out in the city. Autumn is getting it. Listen, she is running like a 10-minute mile pace, and Max is sucking wind. They get to this point where they stop, and he's like, oh, you're running so fast. Like, sheesh, maybe I should run more instead of weight lift so often. She's super excited looking off into nature and awkwardly, but probably necessarily, Max is just like, look, this this isn't working. I think we should break up. Because also, mind you, the whole time that they're running, Autumn is running her mouth. And as a person who runs their mouth, <laughs> me, I am acutely aware of when I'm running my mouth. And so I can like, oh, OK, you've been talking for a while. Like, calm down. Like, I can accept social cues. Autumn is not the person who does that. Autumn was running her mouth about, and then when my parents come, we could do this and maybe we could go eat at Arts, which also shout out to Arts. Arts is permanently closing. Arts is a huge San Francisco landmark restaurant that's been open forever. And as a result of COVID is the owners had it temporarily closed and they're just like, we're going to have to retire. But, you know, Autumn is just like, and my mom's going to do this and my dad loves this and I can't wait for you to do it the whole time and has no idea that Max is trailing behind her about like trying to take his heart rate from his neck and about to pass out and everything. This shows how awkward Max is, too, because I'm like, this is not the time nor the place. No, I'm like, did y'all ride together? Exactly. <laughs> like, how is that going to work? Did you? Like, but, what happened? I mean, it's 2020. They could have together. And Autumn said that, too. Autumn was like, so um, how does this work? Because you have stuff at my house and I have stuff at your house. She, it was very weird how okay with it she was. You and I both know she wasn't okay. No. There's no doubt in my mind that this breakup and how this happened comes up again. Because if they still go to that coffee shop and Autumn's a barista, they're going to run into each other again. That's what I'm saying. We'll see how that interaction goes. Y'all going to have to switch to Starbucks or Pete's or something. (laughs) Um, Feels, I suggest. Go ahead and get a mojito. Yes, I missed 
emit mojito. But wherever she works, y'all can't go there no more. Not for a while. Yeah. So we're at work. And that day is the day of Simon's father's birthday. So Zoe being who she is, she decides to check in on Simon. And he says he's doing okay. And I appreciate that because she didn't really like push the envelope. And she goes on about her business. And then here we find Leaf still in a funk. This is where Zoe has mapped out a plan to address what's going on with him after taking Joan's advice. And Zoe decides to share with him that she has the commentary from her reviews as well. She reads them to him. He politely lets her know which one was him, which was the one that said he should have got the promotion, not her. Zoe takes the time to also tell him, like, look, we won't always get everything right. That's okay. And sometimes it really is about us taking the note and doing something with it. Not to say that you're any less of a good programmer or engineer, like you're still good at those things. She's like, look, you can be alienating. And when you have this all I do is win attitude, I said, okay, shout out for you throwing his uh, heart song back in there. She's like, it doesn't make you to be a team player. And that really isn't a good look. What I thought was interesting about this, hashtag misogyny, is at the end of all of this, even though Lee feels better, he goes away thinking, oh, thanks for sharing with me that you said that. And she's like, but I did. That's, that's <laughs> not what I said. I said, take the note and do something about it, dumbass. I didn't say that it was my note. Because if I was going to say it was my note, I, and me being Zoe, being the awkward person I am, I probably would have said, hey, I said that weird thing about you. I'm so sorry. Right. So that proved that he is still arrogant. So the next day we're as Eminem and I think we brought up the fact that she had an opportunity to do another gig for a woman as a result of, or Zoe found this out as a result of when she stopped by when she was working with Jessica and Zoe was trying to encourage her mother to take the gig, but her mom was kind of on the fence about it. So at this point, Maggie's kind of deciding like, no, I don't think I'm going to take it because it's just not going to be the same without Mitch. Zoe's like, mom, have you actually talked to him about it? You might be surprised at how he respond. I think he would be supportive. Like it's really probably worth the conversation. From that perspective, I think she may have been taking notes from David and Emily's relationship. Like y'all should just talk about this. We get our next song from Mitch and it's It's Yo Thang by the Isley Brothers. You know, I'm it's always just thing. like, I didn't think that this song necessarily hit on it, but I I got it. Like, it's you, your decision, make it happen. Mm -hmm. So the choreography in that was still goofy, but I thought it was cute to see Mitch and Zoe dance together. That made me feel good and warm and fuzzy on the inside. It was cute to me. This was my favorite choreography. I did not think it was corny at all. What? That little thing at the end? But I don't know, maybe it's because I love Mitch so much and I love the actor who plays Mitch so much and to see him engaging happily with his daughter. And also, I think this is the first time that we see Zoe being involved in in a, a choreo with someone else's heart song. 
Yeah, there's people dancing around her, but this time her dad came and got her and danced with her. And I thought that that was really cute. And I thought that the choreo that they were doing went well with song. And you're passing around succulents in the greenhouse. And the song was not... the song was not spot on because that song is about like love who you want to love, do what you want to do. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to be a hoe, be a hoe. You know, that's that's all. that's not what they was going on. But he was saying it's your thing. Like, this is our business. But baby, it's always been your business. I've just been handling the back office. It's always been you all along. I. That was the I, exact meaning that I took from that. There's a part of me that wants to believe that Mitch well, not not wants to believe. We know because Zoe has told Mitch that she hears people's thoughts via songs, and Mitch really knows that. And this there's this connection because they do this heart song performance. Mitch goes back into the house and he sits down. He turns back into his regular self, and he then he types in the message on the computer to let Maggie know that it is okay. I thought that that was interesting because, mind you, he's not supposed to know that Zoe can hear his song, but he knows. Maybe they're close enough for him to actually overhear the conversation and he's preemptively preparing himself. That too. I mean, he he also heard them, but I think he also knew that this was a time for him to interject. Unlike, remember when in last episode, when he told, when he said Pat, when it was like the whole gender thing he was like yeah. no it's not the right moment he was listening to the conversation yes. he could have very well said something then but he felt like it wasn't the right time um maybe it wasn't because he heard the song maybe he just felt okay now i need to i've heard um maggie's talk about this to somebody for the last few days she's let me go ahead and tell her to do this because she's not going to do it without my okay and Zoe's like, well, maybe you should ask dad. And she goes and she talks to Mitch and Mitch says, you know, do your thing. And she goes, well, you know, beep now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> buzz now. And he doesn't buzz and he gives her the okay. And she, you can see like a weight being lifted off of her shoulders. She goes and makes the call. And she, I feel like she was still processing even then, like, hey, whatever the lady's name is, like, I'm going to do this. Like, so let's meet. She took a nice deep breath. I thought that was beautiful to see his support. It was cute to just see them kind of be into each other. I felt like they might've been able to get it popping after that conversation. And she made her telephone call the way they were interacting. Like, Hey girl. Once these kids take their asses home. <laughs> it's going to be me and you. Speaking of, why are they there? Why are they here so often? They grow. Why are they here? Well, like, I would like to say that that's probably just how they were raised. Like, I've been wondering that. Like, dang, would I be at my mama's house this much if I still lived in Ohio? I probably wouldn't. No. I don't and I'm okay so. with that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really, really cute. This is our closing scene. We spend our last little bit, last couple minutes in Zoe's apartment. She has a face mask on. So she had on a sheet mask. So it was a face mask, but it was a sheet mask. And Max FaceTimes her. Yes. Um, She was just playing around her iPad eating Chinese food. And she takes the FaceTime for Max. And Max is like, hey, guess what? Broke up with Autumn. He's also like, what's that thing on your face? And then she gets a text message or iMessage on the screen and it's from Simon and it says, I'm outside your door. 
Yeah. And now it's like, oh, decision tree. What do you do? So let's ask Ashley, what would you have done in this situation? Do you tell Max, sorry, I got to go. Somebody's at the door. Or do you ignore the message on the door and keep talking to Max? What do you do? I think in this particular case, because I knew what was going on with Simon, I would have been like, Max, let me hit you back. I have some company. I would have done the same thing. Now, what might have been different is I might have just answered the door with my mask on. I might not have wasted all that time trying to get cute before um, I actually opened the door. I thought it was interesting, though, that Max would even like FaceTime her and be like, hey, in the spirit of what do you say? Being proactive or whatever. I decided to break up with Autumn. I'm just not sure why that was something that Zoe needed to be the one to know. Well, I mean, I think it's totally logical that he would call Zoe, like, because mind you, this, this kind of separation that's been going on with them, first of all, was initiated by Zoe when she was acting weird as fuck when she became manager. And they kind of got over that, but they never really fully discussed it because then she pushed Autumn on him. And so then they he not actually discuss it though. We know that. Well, then he naturally fell into the whole thing you do when you are in a new relationship and you kind of like focus all your energy on your new relationship. So when that shit ends, like who you call, you call your best friend. Zoe's still his best friend. She just was replaced by Autumn for the last three weeks or however long it was. That was probably how long it was, three weeks. Yeah, I might have did the same thing or most likely what I would have done is I would have waited for him to knock at my door or something like, bro, you first of all, you're not just going to text me. And just assume that I'm at home not doing shit. I'm probably not at home doing shit, but you don't need to know that. So don't pop up at my door like I'm just sitting here waiting on you. And, and then there's that. And but secondly, let's be I'm, real. Simon knew she wasn't going to be doing that. But also, <laughs> secondly, I'm with you. I'm not taking my sheet mask off. I'm not trying to get judged up because I'm not getting no D and you're not breaking me off money. There, there's nothing here for me to try to bro no and you pop up at my door now if you say hey unannounced unannounced now if you say hey zoe i'm feeling some kind of way you're right the grief kit worked but i really want to come over and talk to you is it okay if i come by in 30 minutes oh i'm (laughs) 30 minutes (laughs) i'm doing a lot of work in 30 minutes but if you come unannounced you get what you get and you don't have a fit okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, he wasn't going to have a fit anyway based on the content of his conversation. But you're right. I think that he took a lot of liberties for granted, assuming that she was just going to be home. But it's equivalent to her showing up to go get cheesequakes, thinking that he was just going to be there and they were going to run into each other. So That's true. So he she comes- chooses. Yes, yeah, she chooses. She says, hey, Max, I have to get off the phone. And she goes and answers the door and she lets Simon into her place of residence. Yes, I was still trying to figure out, had he been there before? I'm like, when did he get her address? That doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. So he comes in talking about a mile a minute, basically. He's processing some emotions around his father's death. And he's been reviewing some old email exchanges between the two of them. And he feels based off of one or two exchanges as they progress that he may have missed the signs and that his dad was seeking help and he completely overlooked it. And as a result of that, Simon feels like he has failed his father. He's like, I was reading this one and then this one, he like takes his phone and gives it to her. He's like, here, you read, you see. And then she takes a look and she decides to give him some feedback and listen to him and give him a 
a perspective, an alternative perspective or insight. And I, I think as a part of her learnings about failure, et cetera, that's where her advice was coming from, that particular perspective or context. But she shares with Simon that it may very well be possible that he missed the signs. And basically, that's okay. She follows it up by saying, even if he had seen the signs, that there's potential that him knowing wouldn't have been able to stop what happened anyway. That's where I thought she tried to kind of clean it up. Because I was like, dang, that's kind of harsh. I don't know if I would want you telling me, yeah, you missed it. He did that because of you, even though I don't think that's what it was either. So, oh, child, this I feel like she said the exact wrong thing that you tell someone when they are in crisis. When someone is in crisis, you don't say, you know what? You probably did miss the signs that your father was hinting at that he was going to take his own life. You don't say that. And you also don't compare that alleged failure to you accidentally snitching on your brother or you not handling managing direct reports well like those are not on the same level up until now she had been doing a good job of really meeting people where they were at and like being mindful like she was being mindful with bonnie right she wasn't being super pushy she wasn't trying to make bonnie do things that maybe zoe would do she was trying to meet bonnie where she was same thing with mo like she went through this whole exploration i don't know how much you could explore faith in like two days but she explored faith and religion in two days because she wanted to be able to converse with mo on a level that mo got so when she threw that whole bible verse at mo that was like both like okay you're speaking my language i feel like she had been speaking simon's language well just kind of being like hey not trying to overstep my boundaries, just dropping off this hair, just letting you know I care. And in this moment, this to me was her extraordinary failure. And I think also everybody in the show needs therapy. Like, I just don't understand why people are not utilizing mental health professionals. That was something that I thought of. I also feel like this would have been a good opportunity for her to recommend either grief counseling or a support group because it's only been a year. It's still relatively fresh. There still are a lot of things he obviously hasn't processed. And maybe there's a space where he can do that safe. And they're not depending on each other. I know a therapist or a professional would have handled this much different. I think Zoe's just operating in her binary mind. What was interesting to me, and I, I don't disagree with you, was Simon's response. Zoe made this comment. She said, vague guilt doesn't help you move forward. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, so you're now you're you're the great philosopher with awesome quotes. But then Simon says, like, I'm super grateful for you and your time here and you trying not to fix me or make him make me feel better. And I'm like, well, she certainly didn't make you feel better. But do you feel worse? Listen, I was (laughs) like, what? And my thing is, is, again, I don't feel like this is realistic. I think it's realistic that people have survivor's guilt and also question I've been there right like I probably went through two years three years easy after the loss of my son trying to place the blame on myself and that question was always there like did I miss was there a sign was there something that I missed along the way where I could have shifted this narrative that question is there and it's a valid question and when I was asking that question also because I pay a therapist every week 
I know that this is not a me thing. This is a question that everyone who goes through any kind of trauma will ask. And ideally, there are times where people are seeking solutions, but most of the time people want to be heard. Yeah. And they want to be comforted. Now, that doesn't mean that I coddle you and I tell you everything's okay, but that does mean like he was clearly in crisis, like the way he handed the phone to her and he couldn't look at the phone. And I don't know if his leg was shaking or if I'm making that up, but something about his countenance. He was in distress. He was physically in distress. He was in distress. There there are certain responses that you give to people when they're in in distress. And also there are certain responses that people repeat back when they're in distress. And it's not going to be, oh, thanks so so much for not telling me what I want to hear and coddling me. Nobody's going to thank you for being a hard ass when they're standing on a bridge thinking about jumping. uh, Thanks so much for not (laughs) for not comforting me. Like it was just again, to me, it was a poor choice from the writers. I didn't like that Simon was made to say, thanks so much for doing that. But also on the flip side, I think what it was is him and Zoe are trauma bonded. And he mentioned, you know, Jessica had been super helpful, but Zoe's not Jessica. Zoe is not his partner. Zoe is not his fiance. And so I think that even if Zoe had said the same exact thing as Jessica did, which is try to make him feel better, he would have accepted it better from Zoe than he would have did from Jessica because you don't have that same level of attachment with other people than you do with your partner. And so in a lot of ways, Zoe is like the work wife. She's like, yeah, she's like a side chick, right? She can tell me anything and it's fun because it's temporary. I do think that this potentially foreshadows some issues that Simon and Jessica have though, because she could have very well said to him what she said to her brother in that this is a conversation he should be having with Jessica. I do agree. It's it's your life partner, right? These are emotions that even if you're not comfortable, you you don't tell them immediately, but probably something that the person you plan on spending the rest of your life with should know. I don't think that Jessica has been giving him that. I even remember how he said that she would respond to the I wasn't being honest about having to work late and I was hanging out with the boys. He said he might lose a couple limbs and spend a week on the couch, which I think would be harsh, even if he poured his heart out. So I think even in this situation, we're seeing another situation where the male may be a bit more emotionally intelligent or grounded or okay in expressing his emotions. And the female he's with kind of isn't that. From that, I was like, ooh, I want to see what happens with Simon and Jessica in the future because their engagement party is coming up soon. Well, we we already know. That's not going to happen. Somebody's going to get left at the altar or something. It's just like all signs point to this is not going to end well. If y'all get married and it's going to be headed to divorce court soon. But also the thing is, like, I just want to be clear, too. I don't have a problem with Simon seeking emotional support from someone out side of his relationship like I think a lot of times people will have a problem with that and we've been taught that that's kind of like wrong like your your spouse your person your partner should be your end-all be-all and I don't necessarily think that's fair nor true the problem that I do have though is that Jessica doesn't appear to be clued in and we know that because when Jessica engages with Maggie and Zoe walks in Zoe is almost like filler Jessica has no idea that Zoe has this level of relationship with Simon. That's the only problem I have. It's almost like Jessica is in the dark. She has no idea that her man is running off, feeling his true feelings 
to someone else. And this is just an assumption because we don't know. Jessica might have been like, go on over to her little raggedy ass house anyways. I don't care. I think you're right, though. She is not clued in. I think that that is what continues to push Simon to connect with Zoe continually around the trauma. Outside of that one work project, the times that their relationship progresses to things more meaningful outside of these goofy texts that we haven't actually seen is around the father stuff. So, well, Simon was so moved (laughs) by her response that he has another song and we close the episode with Simon singing and dancing to should I stay or should I go by the clash girl? He was putting in all of the moves just when we think he's going to decide to go. Zoe throws her little old self in front of him at her door. And then girl, it's the closing credits. I'm like, how y'all going to do this to a homie? That's yeah, y'all. And you know what? That's so wrong. Like y'all gave us all this stuff in last episode. Now we're going to get to this cliffhanger, but that's cool. Cause I'm a tune in. Cause I want to know, can I say love the clash? Love that song. That was not the right song for this. I get it. Should I say it? Should I go? You could have picked another version, maybe the Ashanti version. I don't know. <laughs> but I did not like the song choice. And I also did not like the choreo. And I don't feel like it did Simon any justice. But can I say, I have a lot of criticisms about Zoe. And I definitely see the growth. And I'm sorry if I'm being a little harsh on her. But this is one decision that I'm not going to be mad at, sis Zoe. If you have to go ahead and slide on in or let Simon slide on in, sis, I don't blame you. Simon, that one scene when they were at work and Simon was being introspective and kind of brooding, and she was like, what's going on with you? And they panned over to Simon. I said, good googly moogly. This man is fine as fuck. Listen, let me go on the record of stating if Zoe goes too far with Simon, I'm just going to turn and look the other way. I'm not going to do like Zoe. I'm not going to snitch. I'm going to just look at it and I ain't going to say shit. Zoe going to snitch on herself. I feel like Simon cool enough to manage that. Because this is what my prediction is. My prediction is it's going to go down on some young jock. Meet me in the track. It's going, going down. Or it's going down tonight. Tonight it goes down. That's what's going to happen. Yes. And Simon's going to have to pull back like awesome. Like, uh, that was a one-time thing. My bad. Then Zoe's going to have to be around Simon and Jessica all the time at her mama and them house because of the wedding. And she's going to have to walk around and act like her feelings not hurt. That's my prediction. What do you think is going to happen in the next episode? My prediction is I don't think that they're going to sleep together in the next episode, but I do think that there's going to be a close call. And I think this close call is going to happen before the engagement party. And at that engagement party, we're going to see some sparks fly. I'm thinking this is where Jessica might finally get clued in and be like, wait, 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 what the... What the hell? No, I think so. It's going to go I, down. Because I, I don't know if Simon going to be able to uh, hold it down with everybody in the room at the same time. Listen, it's I going think down. he's fine in the pockets. He's cool with just Jessica. 
he's cool with just Zoe, but I think all of them together is going to fall apart. It's going down in Zoe's house, and Mo is going to know. And Mo's going to be like, okay, oh, hi, Simon. And then we'll see, but this is very interesting. So far, this episode, I like the pace of it better than the last episode. And I'm also interested to see how David and Emily's relationship progresses and what happens and as they get closer to parenthood. I'm interested in seeing how the resurgence of Max as best friend in Zoe's life takes place. I wonder mm. if after being with Autumn, Max is going to be like, no, nah, I think I'm really going to shoot my shot. Ooh, I'm interested in Zoe possibly finding similar friends. I'm also <laughs> interested. I'm also interested in everyone in this show getting therapy because that I mean, think me about out. it. <laughs> think about it. Maggie and Zoe, they definitely need family therapy. Only really well-adjusted person is Mo. That's because Mo has been through hell and back. Yeah, literally. Well, that's all for this week's folks. Join us for our next episode as we recap episode six. We're going to be halfway through the season of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. The same Black time and the same Black-ass channel. Until then, continue to defend, support, and protect Black lives.